This is Deep Dish on Global Affairs, going beyond the headlines on critical global issues. I'm Brian Hansen of the Chicago Council on Global Affairs, and today we're talking about a coordinated global effort to address some of the world's most important problems, including economic growth and development, health, education, environmental sustainability, and violence. This ambitious effort goes by a kind of uninspiring name in many ways called the Sustainable Development Goals. This is a vision that was created and negotiated between countries at the UN. But as we're going to learn today, a lot of the real work that affects people's lives in these areas is being done at the subnational level, by cities and local governments, by involvement with the private sector. We're having this conversation because from February 8th to the 13th in Abu Dhabi is the convening of the 10th World Urban Forum in which leaders, urban leaders and global leaders from around the world will gather to talk about how local actors, the kind of activity we're, we're going to address today, is driving forward this agenda. Joining me to help us understand what's going on and why it matters, I have two leading experts. Tony Pippa, who is a senior fellow in the Global Economy and Development Program at the Brookings Institution. During the Obama administration, he served as chief strategy officer at the U.S. Agency for International Development. And he was actually instrumental in the U.S. negotiating and adopting of the Sustainable Development Goals. Welcome, Tony. It's great to have you on Deep Dish. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Also joining us is Catherine Sheehy, who is the Global Lead for Sustainable Partnerships at UL, a global independent safety science company. UL is also a leading sponsor of the Council's annual Pritzker Forum on Global Cities, and UL has a particularly interesting story in, in this area. Catherine, welcome to Deep Dish. It's great to have you here. Thanks very much. I'm glad to be here, too. All right, Tony, I want to start with you because in my setup, you know, you talk about the substance and the issues that are involved in the SDGs, and these are really big things. But the minute people say sustainable development goals, often people's eyes glaze over. Uh, you help negotiate these things. You've lived inside this world. Can you just share why is this so doggone important? Why should we care? You know, the sustainable development goals are the closest thing we have to sort of a comprehensive strategy for the world. Now, I know that sounds grandiose, but really, this is about securing the future of our world and for future generations. So if you care about fairness and opportunity and an economy where everyone has access to being able to achieve their full potential, if you care about protection of the environment, the behavior of commerce and, you know, what's a reasonable way to make money? How do we do it without harming people or the environment? Uh, and how can communities be viable and sustainable 10, 20, 30 years from now? If you care about all those things, um, then you should care about the Sustainable Development Goals because it's really the roadmap for how we, as it says, develop sustainably. Now, when we talk about sustainability, a lot of people just go immediately to the environment. But as you were mentioning, this, this definition of sustainability goes far beyond that. It's really about long-term well-being of people and communities. It's about leaving no, no group or neighborhood behind, so it's very people-centered. It's interconnected, so Issues of health and education are connected to jobs, but at the same time, environmental protection. It applies everywhere, 
So it's applicable to the U.S. And as you said, uh, we negotiated the goals under the auspices of the U.N., but the U.S. committed to them and applies to the U.S. and, and our communities here as well as it does to other countries. Uh, it also provides sort of a common language so that government and society and businesses and, as you mentioned, cities can work together and operate seamlessly towards the same goals and objectives. And the interesting thing is I think we're only going to really get the results because they really ask us, the goals ask us to achieve these by 2030. We're only going to get results by being unusual in the types of partnerships and ways in which we work together. I, thank you. I thought that was a great overview. And it also sets up my opportunity to bring you into the conversation, Catherine. I think one of the things for me as somebody who's, who's followed kind of development issues uh, for decades now is it's striking how engaged the private sector is in in really grabbing hold of, of these goals uh, and helping orient their activities. Uh, can you talk a little bit about why the private sector is mobilized around these these goals and and also talk a little bit about UL how UL fits into this sure thank you um, and part of what I'm going to reflect on will dovetail very well I think with what Ta uh, Tony just outlined so I'll start actually with my own personal perspective or engagement in this area uh, many years ago in the early 90s I started my career working for an organization that was very engaged in international development issues and companies kept on coming into the radar if you will as actors uh, with bigger impact even than some of uh, the international institutions that are working on these issues even bigger than nation states sometimes for good and sometimes in in some negative ways so companies have for a long time, even before my tenure in that field, been in this space of interacting with issues of sustainability and development for some time. I moved actually into, in the 90s, into the then called socially responsible investing industry. Now we're calling it ESG, Environment Social Governance. And that was based on investors understanding and just reflecting back to the companies they were engaged in that these issues are very relevant, that companies' behavior in the world has impacts on and can contribute to more sustainable development. But fast forward to UL. Uh, so many people know UL for our safety science work. We are a safety science organization that has been around since 1894. And today, uh, we do see our work as uh, really in three main areas, three pillars, certainly helping our customers continue to demonstrate safety. We're also involved in security, data interoperability, and data security issues, and then uh, enhancing sustainability. And we, while we speak of those things in terms of pillars, we also see that they're very interconnected and interrelated. Uh, and so at UL, uh, we see this as uh, important to our work, both in terms of our internal operations. So we're a recent signatory to the UN Global Compact, and we'll be publishing our own sustainability report at the end of this month, which aligns our own work to SDGs 3, which is about um, 
uh, better health and well-being, SDG 11, which is about sustainability in cities and communities, and SDG 12, which is about responsible consumption and production. We see our products and services con helping our customers uh, contribute to a number of SDGs outside of those three. How do we see companies interacting with this? Well, we know that companies are aligning their strategies with the SDGs. They see them as both important and useful tools for communicating something that's very complex uh, in the marketplace. In fact, there was a recent study by KPMG that uh, showed us that four out of 10 of the world's 250 largest companies are currently discussing the SDGs in their corporate reporting, which we see as a really incredibly important thing in the marketplace and an indicator of the importance of the SDGs to everybody's uh, strategies. We also see alignment across those issues and what companies are increasingly being asked to report on in terms of environmental, social, and governance issues. And with the recent announcement by Larry Fink and BlackRock around how important those issues are to their company and what they'll be holding the companies that they're um, investing into account, I think we'll see more of this going forward. Very interesting. Tony, let me bring it back to you. And you've been talking to cities who are mobilized around these goals. Could you share a bit about what are cities doing to advance these goals and how are they approaching this? Yeah, pl happy to. And and actually just building on uh, some of Catherine's comments, what, one of the things that's very interesting to me is that as we mentioned, these goals were created under the auspices of the UN. Now, it was a very open process. We had academics, experts. We actually had uh, business leaders come talk to us. We had uh, civil society and NGOs and philanthropies talk. But at the end of the day, these were, you know, nation states under the auspices of the UN committing to developing and committing to these goals. But what's very interesting is to see the traction and uptake amongst different sectors that really weren't part of, you know, they, they weren't parties to the agreement. Mm -hmm. uh, business being one of them, it's really interesting to see the traction that uh, Catherine's talking about. And it's not just business, but it's also the investment community, as she alluded to. Um, capital looking at the ways in which their investments are being more sustainable and using the SDGs as the common language and rubric to think about this. But it's also very interesting to look at, you know, government leaders at the local level. Uh, these are metrics and goals that are set at the national and global levels. So you have to go through sort of a translation process to say, what does it mean for me locally? But it's interesting because um, the goals, if you look at them themselves, you look at something like target 1.2, which is reduce poverty by 50% based on how your nation defines it. That can feel a bit abstract. But in your city and in your local community, you can see that up close. And so local leaders actually are seeing the SDGs in a similar way to what uh, Catherine was just mentioning around corporate reporting and the communications. It's a way for them to coherently tell the story of all the different things that they're trying to do to make progress in their local community. So you have a city like Los Angeles, which has a sustainability plan, a resilience plan, a plan to improve issues around gender equity and violence, um, 
uh, and also jobs and and reaching people who are uh, even homelessness. They've made a, a very public commitment around ending homelessness over the next 10 years. The SDGs enable them to pull all that together into one comprehensive way to say, here's what we're committed to. This is what local progress looks like. And by the way, this actually is part of a global movement. We're, we're actually helping uh, progress on these global challenges like environmental sustainability and climate change and creating a global economy that works for everyone. So cities are, are seeing this as a value proposition in and of itself for their own work. Um, and they've actually started to report back to the SDGs. New York City became the first city in the world to do a review of what their contributions and progress looks like at the local level within their city boundaries on the SDGs. Um, and they presented that review at the UN. So countries on a regular basis voluntarily report what progress looks like uh, in their country on the goals and the, and the targets and, and what they ask of countries. So New York took that one step and localized it and said, we're going to do a voluntary local review, and we'll show what, how we're doing on the SDGs. And it's actually grown into a bit of a movement. Uh, they uh, have made a declaration that other cities are signing up to do this. In the U.S., Los Angeles has uh, already done a, a local review as well. Uh, Orlando and Pittsburgh have committed to do one, and they're underway. The state of Hawaii and, and four cities there have, have started to do it. But it's also global. Um, Bristol in the UK, Mannheim, Germany, uh, uh, Accra, Ghana has signed on, Freetown in, in, um, as well. And so you see this growing movement and this growing leadership that local leaders are saying, we're at the front lines of this. This is how we can translate these goals into real impact and real people's lives in our neighborhoods and address issues that then will have real you know, global implications for, for social progress. So this is really interesting. You know, what both of you just kind of outlined were two different actors, right? We talked about how this is a UN initiative negotiated by countries. And uh, both the business community and cities feel like they, and are, in fact, not feel like, but are in the front line of making these things real and are actually engaging and and. And with this global uh, global process, uh, we've got a global cities program here at the Chicago Council on Global Affairs, which uh, seeks to understand and, uh, the way in which actors, cities, and particularly cities often working with the private sector, are having a bigger influence on policy issues. In addition to the reporting functions, do you two see this as somewhat of a change of the dynamic of kind of how the world thinks about and organizes to solve, you know, big global problems that, that these actors need to be taken seriously and need to play a bigger role? <laughs> I, I think we were both going to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll just start by saying um, – one of, I love the SDGs, the tiles at their highest level. Who can disagree with that vision of the world that we would all want to live in? The details are beyond that, right? The 169 uh, targets and then the indicators uh, beyond that still. And that's where the hard work is. But one of the goals that I love most is, is 17. It's about partnerships. And across the board, whether or not the companies we're working with are talking about the SDGs specifically or the circular economy 
or concerns about plastic in the world, all of which we know are very related and embedded in these SDGs. Every time I talk to companies about this, they come back to, we know that we can't solve this, these problems on our own. We know that no entity out there can actually solve these problems on their own. We have to do it together. We have to collaborate. And that's interesting because that's exactly what uh, city leaders see as a real value proposition for them using the SDGs as a way to frame their priorities and their local progress. So the city of Pittsburgh, for example, has made a public commitment and the mayor has made a public commitment to achieving the SDGs. And the SDGs provide them sort of a connective tissue, a common language, if you will, with all these other different sectors in the city. And so they feel like they're bringing in the, their local businesses, their local philanthropies, their local universities and healthcare providers to all be pulling together on the same sort of city priorities, and it provides them a platform to coordinate their efforts, if you will. And I'm not just talking about money, but I'm, you know, talking about intellectual and uh, other types of resources in which, you know, a particular business or university might have competencies that can really help uh, make progress on a particular issue in the city. But the SDGs, with a, as a common framework, allow everybody to say, "Okay, here's where we know we we need to make uh, we need to make progress locally, and we know that if we make that progress locally on things like air quality and mobility, that we're actually also helping uh, address some of these challenges which go beyond just the city itself and and connect to to other th- other challenges that we're facing." Uh, both within the state and the nation and and the world. And so I want to pick up on that and and really draw out an example that you referred to, Catherine, which was the circular economy, which probably lots of people in the audience said, huh? Um, And this issue of sustainability, because one of the things that UL has done that really intrigues me is that when you have all these different actors operating, trying to advance some goal, it's how do we understand what people are doing um, and why it matters. And UL is, has, is, is in this space, kind of in its standard setting kind of role, as being able to articulate how can you construct a circular economy, I'm going to have you unpack what that is, in something like plastics. And, and how do we even know if the efforts and the press releases are contributing to that? So could you unpack that a little? Because I think it's a very interesting, uh, concrete example of, of, of this collaboration and also how standards are so important in this. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Well, the circular economy it's actually not a new concept. It's actually building on ideas around regenerative design, biomimicry, um, and, and many other sort of threads that companies and, and policymakers and others have been working through for some time. Uh, but the urgency to identify solutions has increased because the problem with this take, make, use, waste economic model is really unsustainable. And it's putting pressure on all of the actors we're talking about. So the circular economy, the definition that uh, we use when talking about this is one that the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, which is one of the premier organizations active in this space, has been talking about. It's decoupling, which means delinking, the 
use of natural resources and the environmental impacts of that use from economic growth. So it's breaking the link between the uh, consequences of using resources that can have environmental impacts and social impacts uh, from the benefits that growth in the economy can um, bring to cities, to companies, to individuals. So it's firmly rooted in economic growth, but not in some of the conventional ways we've come to think about it. The three core principles of a circular economy are designing out waste and pollution, keeping products and materials in their longest, highest value productive use through interventions like reuse, refurbishment, remanufacturing, recycling, and then regenerating those natural systems. That's the third piece that's actually uh, going toward not just net zero impacts, but regenerating and restoring uh, the ecosystems in which we operate. How do we know how to do this and, and how do we understand how to move forward? And I think that's the, the brass ring of everything that we're doing. If we go back to our earlier conversation about even just the sustainable development goals and the 2030 deadlines, you know, that these are big challenges and uh, we are making steps forward. And in some cases, we we are have taken steps back and there's a lot of uh, progress that we have to make to address climate change, to address poverty, to address all these issues we're talking about. Um, but there are really good measures that we can use to understand what it is that we're doing. And also in at UL, we're big fans of try uh, and use the tools that you have in your toolbox, but be ready to pivot if we find out that that step isn't taking us in the direction that we need to go. So from a standards development perspective, we think that measurement is incredibly important and having consistent, cohesive, um, uh, commonly understood and agreed upon definitions of terms and how we're going to measure things is a starting place. We have to know if we're integrating recycled content into our products, how do you measure that? How do you measure um, something like a waste aversion at a factory site and how do you measure the benefits of a productization or servitization models, meaning um, moving away from selling a light bulb to selling lighting, as Philips Lighting did uh, some time ago. There are ways to measure it, and there are standards that we can use to measure these things. I think some of the challenges that you're pointing out that we're hearing in the marketplace is, well, how do I know if that's the right thing to do? Hmm versus this other thing, basically the unintended consequences of a righteous action. And this comes up a lot in the in the conversation about plastics leakage in the environment and plastics waste. Um, when companies are making commitments to incorporating recycled content or designing product or packaging that's recyclable or compostable, the question arises, you know, which of those is the right thing for that product and life cycle assessment tools, analysis about the product itself, uh, and just a, a basic truism that incorporating recycled content is a good thing to do, generally speaking. Uh, very rarely is it not a, a, a beneficial, has a beneficial outcome. I think those are some of the ways that we talk with companies and help them navigate some of these complexities. You know, I think that's one of the things that's most challenging about the sustainable development goals and that we're still grappling with is 
the sort of trade-offs that they ask because they ask you to connect sort of those environmental concerns to other concerns. And so it's not always an easy uh, question and then something to answer. Uh, you're, you're being asked to, to make progress on multiple dimensions of sustainable development at once. And sometimes it's not always clear the path forward. Um, and Catherine was just talking about, you know, trying to like a decision tree and trying to make the decisions on what, what makes sense in a particular situation. Having said that, I think the other things that the goals really offer is this focus on evidence and getting everybody on the same page around the types of things to be measuring so that we understand what type of impacts that we're having on our society or the environment. And that's a real important step forward, I think. Uh, that's one of the ways in which we make progress is when everybody can agree on what they're actually measuring and we have a common sense of what progress, uh, what we would, how we would measure progress and then collecting that data to see how well we're doing. Uh, and I think that's one of the, the big things that the SDGs offer. Don't. Tony, can I pick up on that? And just, you know, as I mentioned, you've been holding you know, events, bringing cities from around um, the U.S. and the world together to talk about these issues. And as I'm listening to Catherine talk about the role of being able to create uh, ways to measure progress, as I listen to you, Tony, talk about uh, local voluntary reviews of cities who are you know, reporting how they have done, can you talk some about other uh, interactions between the private sector and the cities as they try to achieve these things and try to figure out what in the heck they're contributing uh, to the achievement yeah. of goals? Yeah, and and part of it is, um, you know, in, in this stage, many uh, cities and their local businesses are getting on the same, are getting on that same page. They're both saying, here's where we you know, want to prioritize and make progress and, you know, going to their local business community and saying, here's where you can be helpful. But I'll just go back to Pittsburgh, for example, that is, you know, has a focus on some of the environmental dimensions uh, around the sustainable development goals, especially around air quality and uh, around climate change, and are working directly with the Green Building Alliance there, which is a an association of different businesses and civil society organizations that are looking at partnerships as a way to be able to make uh, progress on that. Hawaii Green Growth uh, is also a public-private platform that is connecting up the state government and, and the city government of Honolulu with its local private sector, uh, both the utilities there as well as private sector companies uh, to create partnerships that will enable progress on, on several of the goals. And you have a place like Louisville, actually, that's underway on something called the Green Heart Project, where they're working with volunteers and companies to plant trees in particular neighborhoods that have lost uh, a lot of green. Um, they've lost, you know, 54,000 trees actually uh, per over the past several years. They get an F from the American Lung Association on air quality. Uh, so they're putting trees actually into neighborhoods and working also with the University of Louisville to measure the impact 
on uh, not just air quality, but also on potential reduction of heart disease and other health indicators and improvements in social cohesion because of the activity and because of the use, actually, of the green space that might happen in those particular neighborhoods. Uh, and that's a good example of how partners connect, um, but also how the different areas and dimensions of the goals try to connect through particular projects. And I'll just end with Yokohama because this is actually a really interesting example of how then partnerships start to go beyond just the city boundaries itself. But Yokohama has been doing partnerships with some of its local businesses uh, around water management, uh, around the circular economy that, uh, that Catherine was talking about, and has had some success with some really innovative ways to do that and now has created a platform by which they're working with some cities in their region of the world, in Southeast Asia and Vietnam and other countries, and bringing that same innovation to those particular uh, cities as well. Um, they provide sort of their own experience and some guidance on how to integrate it into city government, and then the companies are actually working with other local companies to help take those innovations on water and sewer and other management uh, to be actually very resourceful uh, with their natural resources and taking it to other cities as well. So there's sort of like almost a development cooperation city to city uh, working with the private sector and, and creating a platform to be able to do that. That's fascinating. As, a, as we have this conversation, and this is kind of as we, as we close here, as we're having this conversation, I'm thinking it's 2020 now. The, um, the, the goals are supposed to, you know, the target for the goals is 2030, so that's a decade away. Uh, we've talked a lot about kind of new efforts to coordinate, bring together local action at city levels in concert with the private sector, the private sector functioning, obviously, not only at local levels, but big global levels. And that, and that this is important in order to achieve these, these, these goals. What I would like to ask for each of you to comment on is, as this process continues to unfold and continue to mature, what should our listeners be paying attention to to understand the significance of these local actions, of the role of the business community in achieving these these goals? Where, where should we look? What, what do we pay attention to? Uh, I'll start, I think, uh, a couple of different things. I think you will continue to see the way in which capital is invested being measured against the aspirations that the goals ask us to consider. And so Catherine mentioned Larry Fink's, you know, letter to both their CEOs as well as client, uh, uh, clients um, using the SDGs as a benchmark, so to speak, for how their investments were creating stakeholder rather than just shareholder uh, impact. And I think you will see uh, – I think you will see that happen – and start to expand throughout the world of investment and throughout the world of uh, impact. I think consumers will also be able to start to see indices where uh, through an industry, companies will be start to be ranked on how they perform against the goals and the aspirations and the targets that the goals put out. 
And then I think you will continue to see a、um, larger movement at the local level. You'll see a lot more local reporting. I'm, I'm starting to see the momentum build significantly.、Um, You know, we had eight voluntary. We had eight cities、uh, a year ago voluntary reporting on the SDGs. I think you know we're going to be 50 to 100 in the next year, and we'll continue to see that expansion. And I think you'll start to see、um, local priorities and cities that are developing strategies to make progress on social and environmental concerns locally. Start to talk about how that is meaningful in the global context, and they'll use the SDGs to do that. And you'll see local institutions, not just the private sector, but you'll see local institutions like the philanthropic sector, like community foundations, start to connect the work they're trying to do to inform social progress and connect those causes to their donors, as well as to the way in which they. Communicate their impact.、Um, so I think you'll start to see it infiltrate in a lot of different sectors, but you'll also see increasingly、um, tools and benchmarks so that、uh, you know the everyday person will will start to see the SDGs as sort of a, a measurement stick、uh, to be able to say you know is is what I'm buying and is what I'm is what my city's doing or、uh, how do we measure up. In terms of progress、uh, against this global framework, Catherine, what would you add that we should pay attention to? I do agree. I agree with what Tony mentioned.、Uh, but in addition, I think sometimes the the language that we use in the sustainability space, and I've been in this space for some years, and I count myself among them. You know, it can get in the way of people sort of seeing and experiencing something that they're very familiar with, and so. More tactically, you know, when we look at as you're running up to the World Urban Forum, you know, looking at the urban environment specifically, you know, about 50, this is where we live. About 55% of the world population lives in urban areas today, and that's expected to increase to about 70% by 2050. At the same time, global populations are growing, and the demographics of the populations are diversifying. Uh, you know, age-wise,、uh, the populations age 60 or over are growing rate at a rate, you know, more almost 4% annually, faster than any other demographic, and we see,、uh, you know, migration issues affecting cities. So as we all experience these trends, and the the stakeholders and the influencers and those who are in policy, in government, in business. And elsewhere are、uh, addressing these issues. We'll see them play out in in very specific ways. Take, for example, the built environment in cities, so hugely important in addressing some of these issues. We already know and are seeing the green building codes or requirements、um, and schemes like LEED,、uh, BREAM, Green Globes, starting to incorporate new measures. That help us understand how to、uh, measure our progress, but also inspire us to look at how do we address these trends.、Uh, very specifically, Lead、uh, at its Green Bill conference in November announced、uh, the publication of a new pilot credit that's very targeted at product level circularity and construction. So, incorporating more recycled content, circular design, refurbished and remanufactured. 
And these are the kind of things that we as people living in cities, as we as, uh, as business operators in cities will start to experience because our our homes, you know, multifamily homes, our, our businesses will um, strive to achieve those objectives. In cities specifically around, you know, something like waste, I, I will have the privilege of speaking with Chris Castro, who's the director of Office of Sustainability and Resilience in the city of Orlando, um, where the Chamber of Commerce launched a Beyond 34 campaign a few years ago, 34 being the diversion rate nationally of waste from landfill. And that partnership with the Chamber of Commerce Foundation, with the businesses who can influence the, the outcomes uh, with communities in, that, in the city uh, has already inspired a lot of uh, public commitment and a lot of awareness, provoked a lot of awareness in the region. Uh, and so, for example, one of the things that the city is doing to help residents, businesses, uh, and uh, everyone basically deal with food waste is they're offering free to all people who live in that city backyard composters. These are the very practical sort of implementation effects that we're going to start seeing around the world as businesses collaborate with policymakers, uh, collaborate with other stakeholders in the community to get this work done that we all need to get done. It aligns with the SDGs, but some places may not actually talk very much about that. The, the fact remains that the SDGs um, are a wonderful sort of way to express complexity and in the interrelationship between these complex things. We experience that complexity in our daily lives, even when we don't have the language to talk about it. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation, and for people who are interested in learning more, I just want to uh, point out that the Chicago Council on Global Affairs recently issued a report called Global Goals, Global Cities, Achieving the SDGs Through Collective Local Action, and acknowledge and appreciate that uh, this report came out of the Pritzker Forum on Global Cities, for which UL is a lead sponsor. I also refer to you to the work that Brookings has done and that Tony has has led, as well as um, upcoming announcements from UL and other companies about what they are doing in this space. So, Tony Pippa of the Brookings Institution and Catherine G of UL, I want to thank you both for being on Deep Dish. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. And I want to thank you for tuning into this episode of Deep Dish as well. If you like the show... Take a moment to tap the subscribe button in your podcast app so you can get each and every new episode as it's released. You can find our show under Deep Dish on Global Affairs wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you think you know someone who would enjoy today's episode, take a moment to tap the share button and send it to them. As a reminder, the opinions you heard today belong to the people who express them and not the Chicago Council on Global Affairs. Our audio engineer for this episode is Andy Zarnecki. I'm Brian Hansen, and we'll be back soon with another slice of Deep Dish.